Rhodium Radio. No sad podcast. Rhodium Radio. No sad podcast. In the shitty city of Wilmington, we keep it rocking. So come on, shake, shake it for me, Kelly. Yeah. Dr. Dre is in full effect, and I gotta tell y'all a little something. Easy E is down with us. MC Ring, you know he's down with us. DJ Yella is down with us. Arabian Prince, you know he's down with us. Tony A. The Wizard is down with us. JJ Fag is down with us. Timmy T, you know he's down with us. DJ Pooh Boy is down with us. Toddy P and Spade, they're down with us. My boy Ice Cube, you know he's down with us. I like to mention, so pay attention to where I'm from. Compton, but the tapes are from the rodeum. My name is Dre, listen while I play. And by the way, I'm also down with NWA. Yo, Steve at the rodeum is down with us. Slanging funky tapes, it is a must. We're number one. Welcome back, everybody, to Rodian Radio, episode 39, and I'm your host, Tony A., the motherfucking wizard, and uh, I got a couple of announcements I got to make before we jump right into it. Uh, the Rodian Mixtape Documentary, I know you guys are probably tired of me uh, mentioning this, but you know what? I promote myself until it pays off. So once again, those of you that have seen it, and uh, go ahead and go to rodianradio at gmail.com and submit your 20 to 30 second a video of what you thought about it so far all the responses have been overwhelming so i want to thank everybody who has done that uh once again uh, the offer is still available for ten dollars two cds two mixtapes which is 24 7 and high c you can get those two while supplies last i only have a few more but you can get those two cds for 25 oh, i'm sorry for 10 bucks at documixery.com so uh, other than that, we are on all major platforms. As a matter of fact, if you don't find us on all uh, platforms, please let us know and uh, we'll make sure to get it up there. But so far, everything's been going good. Everything's been going great. We had a hell of a time last night with the Mexicans. But today, we're going to have another hell of a time with my special guest today, a West Coast legend, none other than Chris the Glove Taylor. Thank you, my brother. What's up, yo? How Thank you, you for coming, man. Thank you Thank for having you me, Tony A. All good, my brother. You know what? I had a quick question. How was the drive over here? Because you know that LA traffic, man. <laughs> um, I came over here on the South Bay Curve at between 6 and 7. It was like uh, the slowest motion. I think I was like <laughs> two miles an hour the whole way. I was like, man, he lives. Oh, I got to go. Oh, that's far. No, it's not. It's traffic traffic that LA traffic is insane man you know it's funny because I talk to a lot of people that just want to move out of LA simply because of the traffic but for me to be quite honest with you, LA has always been home and uh speaking of LA uh, uh in my book in a lot of people's book you are considered a west coast legend you were here mm. when hip-hop started here you know so uh for the people that may not know where was Chris the glove raised at well Chris the Glove Taylor was born in Hollywood, actually. There used to be a hospital called Cedars of Lebanon, which merged with Cedars, with Mount Sinai, became Cedar Sinai. Okay. Right on Hollywood Boulevard, right off of there, it's a blue, became a blue uh, children's hospital. You might remember that blue hospital. That's where I was born, right there. So from there, man, uh, it's all South LA, bro. I mean, <laughs> I was just talking to the buddy that was 
Like, I used to live on 77th and Harvard. He was like, what? I was like, yeah. He was like, man, I lived on Vermont. I don't know you. I was like, because I went to Raymond Avenue, and they the Brims and Schoolyard Crips was like, you couldn't <laughs> go over there. It was, right. it was battle zone. So you had to stay, you know, I was a little kid up until I was 11 or 12. Then I moved to 120th in Normandy. I was going to Henry Clay, you know, and all of that. And then from there, we moved over to where I am now, which is Ladera Heights, which is uh, near, let me just say Slauson, Slauson and La Cienega. Okay. But over there is uh, is where all the music stuff really kind of took root, you know what I mean? And yeah. it was like, that's where I actually decided on La Cienega Boulevard and 64th Street to de become a DJ. Don't know where that came from. You, you know, you're the only guest that has ever made me feel short. <laughs> Man, you're a giant, bro. Brother, looking at you, I mean, you're like this much taller than me. And I'm like, wow, this guy makes me feel short. I knew a guy years ago that was like 6'9", mm -hmm. and his nickname was Shorty. Yeah, there you go. His nickname was Shorty. Yeah, so, I like that. So, you know, jumping right into it, you know, as a, as a kid, did you play any sports at all, being that tall? Yeah, man, my story actually starts with basketball, but that was kind of short-lived. Like, I'd figure from the age of 13 to about high school maybe 17 was all of the pro-ish stuff i tried to do from there it was just schoolyards and park legend type stuff but yeah i you know did all the usual tried out for the basketball team but so i went to inglewood high school right okay so just so happened that when i went there they were ranked number one in the cape in the country for basketball so it's kind of hard to make that squad you know what i'm saying they number one in the nation uh so you know I went to college for aeronautical engineering over at Cal State Northridge, tried to make that team because I was, you know, I got a tryout and that didn't work. So my pops had to come and find me at college. I was hiding out in the dorms, chicks I knew, homies, whatever. You know, you can't say you ain't going to class. You just right. So he popped up on me and took me back home. I'm walking down La Cienega. I'm like, what can I do that I can be the best at? Because now I'm on the path of junior college and, you know, whatever that comes from and I'm like okay well I can't be a rocket science scientist because I failed that so what am I gonna do <laughs> let me see how about DJ comes up and I don't know where that came from that's what they call an epiphany so from there I had to study what was that because in 1979 November there was no going on anywhere in my world Right. Which was not, you know, I told you where I was from, so I wasn't like just in one small neighborhood. I grew up over here. I lived over here in the Gardena. And then I came over here and I had friends everywhere. So I was up on whatever was happening. You know, I was kind of in the streets from being able to move around like that. Cousins and such. So a lot of guys that I, you know, were landlocked like Compton. They stayed there. They didn't go nowhere. Right. I remember getting easy and Dre to come to Hollywood was rough. When there was an NWA, it was like, yo, come to paradise, man. Nah, we good. <laughs> so, but anyway, now he lives in, you know. Right. <laughs> so, you know, from there, uh, it was easier to be able to bridge all those neighborhoods and hear all that music, but I didn't, never heard of a DJ or, or what I wanted. I mean, in high school, I had Jammin' Gene, the disco machine. He played music, you know, good songs, but it was no rapping, of course, except right. for Rapper's Delight, I think, and Grandmaster Flash. So when I decided to be a DJ, this record comes out, 
Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel. It's actually the first record that group put out. I just found out from Flash, whom I just met. He told me that was the first release, and then the records with the raps came next because they were introducing the DJ, the first name. The DJ is the original B-boy. When we play music, they rap. They want to make you think that they go to a party and start rapping and people dance, but that's not really what happens. If you go to a party, you're going to hear music from down the block. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so... You know, it's, it's funny that you say that story about Grandmaster Flash on the wheels of steel. And I'll tell you why. Because me being the Mexican kid here in the city of Wilmington, I was in, going to a school called Wilmington Junior High. Mm. Okay. And one of my friends named Nathan Gale, rest in peace, uh, he was killed soon after high school. Mm. We were in, I want to say, seventh or eighth grade. And I remember I waited for him after, after school. He ran all the way home. And then he ran back and he had a record. He goes, I want you to listen to this. The reason why he wanted me to listen to it is because I I saw Scratching for the first time on TV. It was a, a commercial. I don't know if it was a commercial <laughs> or something of Grandmaster Flash. Uh, that famous one where he's scratching in front of Fat Five Freddy and he's scratching behind his back. Yeah. Well, when I told him that, he goes, I got that record. I go, what record? So he brings it to me. He goes, take it home. So I remember I dropped the needle on the home stereo and the first thing I heard was, say, I say, I say, I say, you say, oh man, I say, what, 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 wait, what did he just do? Like, how do you, what was that? Like, I didn't know about mixers, turntables, none of that. Right. And this was 19. So how, you, how old are you? Uh, I'm 50. Oh, I'm about to be 52 this month. Okay. So you're like five years younger than me. So when you heard that record, how old were you? I, I would say I had to be in about 12 or 13 years Whoa, old. Whoa. See, that's what trips me out, man. Like when I was DJing then, it was 12 and 13 year old dudes coming to see me, like Henji and Evilly and these guys, they was coming to my backyard at that age. So that's a trip, bro, because when you told him to play this record and you had a commercial, that's like 1980. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. And, and I didn't know what he was doing. I, right. I just saw him. And he was so smooth, you know, just dropping needles. And he would, boom, over here, picked up the needle. And then he was like. Dub -dub -dub -dub. Oh, that one thing he did, like the documentary thing. Yes. That I've seen recently. Yes. Yeah, they did that around the time we did Breaking and Entering. That was later. Yes, Like yes. a little bit later than. Because in 80, there was no visual. No visual. At all. Like, right. and not even on Soul Train, because they was, Rapper's Delight was just getting going from 77, you know, 8, yeah. 78, it was hot. Yeah. You know, because remember, Good Times was the big thing on the <laughs> Good Time, that was the peak of his record, yes. you know, of that Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. So that's a trip how you're as connected to that record as me, because I actually say when I figured out what he was doing with that record, I just copied all of the moves, and I just... Hey, he taught me. That's what I say. The, the, I, same thing. Yeah. Now, that was the first guy I ever saw scratch, but it was television. The second guy happened to be a guy named King Tim, Calvin Anderson's brother mm. at VIP Records. Mm -hmm. Now, he's the first guy that I saw do this, you know, with the fader. So, uh, I'm like, I have a photographic memory, so I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, my first question to him was, who, who taught you? And, you know, because I... Back then, when I learned how to pop, somebody taught me how to pop. Yeah, you, you know? just come up with it. <laughs> right. So I asked him, he goes, oh, nobody taught me. I just learned. That's what he mm -hmm. said. And then, of course, years later, I ended up meeting the uh, uh, King Scratch Joe Cooley, 
you know, and I was about 15 years old. And mm -hmm. from there, he pretty much was like my mentor. Yeah, Joe you know? Cooley's king. Yes. <laughs> so, so now, you know what? If I can back up just a little bit, as a kid growing up at home, what type of music? Because obviously, we didn't have hip hop. Mm. What type of music would you say was played around your home? You as a kid. Man, okay. So in my house, the only music I remember hearing that was popular was Roberta Flack's album "Killing Me Softly" and Smokey Robinson with uh, uh, "Cruising" on it. Because my mom got both of them free from the <laughs> publisher's clearinghouse in the mail, right? So those records were the only records I knew growing up, literally. I, I mean, it was church music. I played the organ. Oh, wow. We couldn't even play or listen to the radio, bro. So I used to sneak. I must have been, when I first started listening to music like that, uh, I mean, I heard it when I went to school and stuff. I didn't know the songs, but like they're locked in my brain. I saw some things like there's a, ain't no woman like the one I got is locked in my head because I remember the drill team was doing this move when I was 10. Right. or something so i remember the song parts but i never really like how people grew up when their parents were playing that music and da, 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 yes 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 none of that for me so me being a hip-hop dj is actually a rebellious act like i'm supposed to be a pastor okay <laughs> so i did that okay so the first memory of playing music other than those two records i used to listen i could turn on the radio and listen to, oh, I didn't turn off my <laughs> notifications and my duck is going off. I got a call. Shout out to C Major. I'm going to call you back, bro. You'll see this. So, um, wait, watch this. You guys are live. So, I'll tell you. When I first, oh, yeah, I'm on the show, bro. I'm going to call you back. That's all good. First time ever, somebody's ever done that. But you know what? You get a pass, brother, because you're a legend. Man, dude, look at here. This part of the story, this guy, because I'm going to tell you. So, we were talking about, before I cut out, what was the last thing I said? Uh, uh, what type of music did you grow up Right, with so look, the first song, I used to sneak in. My mom had one of those little silver recorders with the tape, you know, the one I'm talking about. Yes. You hit the two record. Yeah. So I used to sneak in there and listen to, I think it was KAC, no, it was KGFJ. Because K Day didn't play nothing cool, it was whack. KGFJ was cooler. The KGFJ was a big thing back then, bro. So I used to sneak. And take that tape and record whatever they were playing. And the one song, the first song I ever heard was Boss Gaz, Boss Gags, yes. Lowdown. Lowdown. That's yes. the first record I recorded on the tape yes. to hear the music, right? So I started, that's like, when did that record come out? <laughs> 73 I, or 4? Well, I know I was in elementary school when that came out. Yeah, you know? so... I'm five years up, so elementary for you is 10. I'm yeah. 15, 14 hearing this music for the first time. Yeah. Like, that's old, right? Because remember, yeah. I started DJing at 17. Right. right. I'm like, uh, who's the, I'm like Michael Jordan. He didn't start playing basketball until he was in high school. Wow. I didn't start with music until I was, I met a guy named Kenneth Niles. So from this boss gags, I started recording music can't really remember most of it right. that one was really uh, my wife says that it's called making a memory like the first time i did it i remember that one but like the other five million times i don't quite recall what the <laughs> hell i was recording and shit you know what i mean so from that tape i used to just listen to boss gags over and over and be like ain't that the beat you know ding, mm, mm, ding, mm, ding, mm. i was like dang i had never really heard you know right right not really, like to get to listen to it over and over and had it on tape and could study it. Right. So my boy comes over and he introduces me to Parliament. 
Wow. That's the next thing I heard. Like, well, let me back up. Back before then, my cousin Angela taught me about Parliament Funkadelic when... Uh, Knee Deep, maybe? No, before that. The first big record they had was One Nation Under Groove, I think, for Funkadelic, the big record. And then after that, because Parliament did Flashlight and Aqua Boogie and, you know, those records kind of like around the same time, but a right. little bit later, like it was Funkadelic Parliament, Funkadelic Parliament. So she, I knew about uh, Knee Deep. I think that was it. That was the first song I heard after. So it was Knee Deep from my cousin and Boss Gags. It was the first one I recorded. Then I got Parliament. And then from there, Ronnie Laws and all kind of jazz and all kind of just, I'm in music. Now I'm like, oh, bring some records over. And I sneak up and play them on my mom's gigantic stereo furniture piece. Yes. You remember those? Yes. With the speakers and the little curtains built into the thing. Bro. Uh, we had one of those. It's funny you mentioned Boss Gags because that was one of the first records that I ever took to uh, my elementary school when we had like a Christmas party. My brother actually bought that record at a Zodi's. Uh -huh. So he bought that one. And then my second record that he brought was the other one that you had mentioned, um, the, the one you just mentioned right now. Uh, Parliament or the uh, Aquabuki? Knee Deep. Knee Deep. Man, Knee Deep. I, had, I had the 45. It was funny. It was part one. And then on the other side was part two. And I remember I entered a talent show in sixth grade and I popped to that song. That's dope. Did yes. you win? No. Ah, but you love that song. You made a memory. You yes, remember that? I did. You've I been did. on a lot of talent shows. Yes. See? Now, <coughs> some, you said something that um, I wanted to ask you. You said you used to play the organ. Mm -hmm. Now, are we talking about one of those B3 Hammond organs with the Leslie speaker? Yeah, so check it out. So when I was nine, my mom took me, I used to sing. And I went to this Methodist church. If anybody knows what United Methodist Church is, it's like a Catholic church, but black people, basically, okay. almost. You got to wear your acolytes. Your, uh, you, I was wearing the robes and lighting the candles. So then I used to sing, right? I was in the choir. I had this voice. So she took me to be in this group called the Mitchell Boys Choir. I was supposed to tour all over the world, but I didn't make it. Just like the damn basketball. <laughs> so that was my first crushing blow as a musician my vocalist was like you were great but they had somebody already doing what i was doing i didn't know what who cares so i then said i wanted to learn how to play an instrument so my mom was like okay so i learned i started taking organ lessons yes on a hammond b3 organ with a leslie but the leslie is usually not attached right. it's just got a speaker with the vibrato switch yes okay so the man who taught me how to play the organ's name is Toussaint McCall. Toussaint McCall is the only person who had a gold record playing the organ, like how Billy Preston did with the mm -hmm. piano. But Billy Preston had Willie Go Round in Circles. <laughs> Toussaint McCall had a record that was a hit record from playing the organ. I forgot it was, can't remember the name of it. He taught me how to play the organ. And, you know, both feet and hands on the melody and the chords and the, and the switches and wow, all that. It's all good. But wow. so, yeah, I did. You know, the reason why I bring that up is because as a kid, I heard Love and Happiness mm -hmm. by Al Green. And I I would hear songs that my brother would play. And I always wanted to know what that sound was. <laughs> yes. Because it was no electronic instruments. It was the Rhodes and the organ. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing else. I oh. used to hear it in like the rock bands, like yes. the doors. I was like, <laughs> what is that sound? And then I learned that it was the organ because it was nothing but a, the electric guitar was it. That was that it. was the only electric thing. So I would tell my brother, what is that? Woo! 
<laughs> and he would be like, I don't know. So I would ask around as a kid, like, what is it? Every time I heard a noise on a song, what is that? What, what is, is that? that sound? So what, what happened it? was mm -hmm. later on when, I, of course, I got older, I got into the music business. I began to collect uh, vintage keyboards. I bought a B3 Hammond organ with the uh, Leslie, a Horner clavinet, 88 key Fender Rolls. Uh, I had all the Moogs. You got the 88 key Fender. Yeah, the 88 key. And, and, uh, um, after a while, I got rid of it, and I'll tell you why. Because I was trying to create music with all the original instruments, but I realized that kids didn't care. Well, yeah. Well, okay. So <laughs> this is what we did. So we were you same thing, right? Rewind or whatever. We were in the '90s, just leaving off of NWA, which is super sample heavy of all that shit, and then getting into a new. We just did some John Singleton and and and, and some other things, and they were more groove oriented. So I was like, Drake, you know, we did a couple of things and we were sampling these things. I was like, we got these instruments over at the studio I'm working at, you know, come through. Let's just get the instruments. We had an ARP Odyssey, uh, the two mini moves, a Hammond, um, a, and a Rhodes. Okay. But we, so we had the Rhodes, which was the base of everything. We had the, uh, you know, we had all the guitar players and all of that. And then we had the, uh, so the trick with that stuff is the Rhodes, maybe a clavinet, but that Arp Odyssey. We could do all the Parliament stuff because all Bernie Royal had was an Arp Odyssey and an Arp, another, just two instruments. Okay, okay. <laughs> all them sounds. And then he grew as it went on, but it wasn't that many. So, and Ohio players and all them, it was mm -hmm. the Arp. Dope. So dope. he was like, yeah, so then we did, you know, the, Chronic from there. <laughs> you notice the music from NWA to the Chronic was completely different. Like yes. Similar. Some of them maybe like Nigga with a Gun, Ratchet Tat Tat is similar to NWA, right. but the rest of it was groove funk. Right. You right. know, so. Well, before we get into all of that, I want to back up because I want to ask you some questions for me. Okay. Okay. Because okay, the first time I ever saw Chris the Glove Taylor was on Breaking the Entering. Okay. Okay. That was the first time. And I'm going to tell, tell you what intrigued me about you was the glove. <laughs> okay. I didn't get it. I loved it. But as a kid, you, you have to remember that I'm looking at the glove as, and that, now it may sound goofy, but I'm going to be honest and just tell you, I thought, does that glove give him like freaking superpowers? Exactly. Scratch? That's exactly the point okay. <laughs> of that look. Yes. Th th then, then you had me, you mm -hmm. had me because I saw you, Egyptian lover had his little sailor's cap. He had a red shirt on. I think you had a cut off shirt mm -hmm. and he's cutting. And then you're over here with the up and down mm -hmm. fader. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The up and down fader. Mm -hmm. So now, uh, that was 1983. So mm -hmm. this, that's the first time I've ever seen a West coast, if you will, hip hop documentary. Mm -hmm. Okay. H how did that come about? Like, you know, yeah. So this is what happened with that is a very good question. So, from becoming a DJ and learning how that shit worked and becoming, then I became, I learned that record and I'm a master at that. But one thing that I learned was there was another person named Tony Joseph, rest in peace, who was on a show. Most people know him from 92.3. Uh, he used to be on the, uh, uh, what was that called? The um, Saturday Night Jam. That was the first mixed show on FM radio, him and Michael Moore, both rest in peace. So. He taught me how to blend. When I first didn't know what the records were, he showed me how to do these. He took a big ass component set and a record player showed me how to blend. So to go forward to your question, it's like 
once I learned that the blending was the most important part, yes, I could rock the party with the cuts. So what I used to do is cut the, and keep the groove going. I wasn't like, you know, these battle DJs that scratch and you lose the rhythm. <laughs> But they're battling, so you're not dancing, so it kind of don't matter, right? right? Oh, look what he did. Then they go offbeat on purpose and start doing some way out stuff. Right. But if people were where I come from, they got to be dancing. Yes, so absolutely. I'm you got to be able to do all that, but on beat. Yes. And see, that's what gets people. So you can't, when, when I saw the rhythmic of it and the bounce, which I learned from those guys, how to keep the records going, it was something else. But I'm going to tell you, man. The, the strangest thing about how you go from DJing and going into a documentary, it's amazing. So we used to have this club called Radio, 1981, 82. Okay. So people would come there, breakdance, whatever, and, 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 and celebrities started coming because of the momentum of the whole hip-hop thing. We were the only place where you could see scratching, breakdancing, graffiti, the whole nine. You could walk into that place and it was like walking into New York. And I didn't even know it. I'm up on tables. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not knowing that I'm Grandmaster Flash. And when you go to New York, it looks exactly the same. They did a thing called the uh, Get Down, that TV show. When they first enter into where Grandmaster Flash and that club is, it looked exactly like radio. I mean, to a T, bro. Right. Not like we was trying to be them. It was the same thing. It was just in two different places. Ours was... You know, so we actually, being in Los Angeles, I don't know if you remember the how the L.A. Times used to be the biggest thing. Everybody yes. had it. And then the calendar section was the biggest of the big. Like, <laughs> where, if Garth Brooks was in town, he was on the calendar. The calendar, yes. And it was five, six million people who read it. So radio got so popular that it got a calendar cover story. And when it was in the calendar section, now you got movie producers coming and watching it. So these guys decided Top of Karoo and them said, hey, we got PBS. We really into this thing. Let's film you guys. So they got the whole thing. And those old scenes you see were us live at the club that night. It was never like, okay, go for the camera. Everything they recorded, you saw, we were doing. Wow. So, you know, they came to the club and started talking and filming us. I mean, I don't even think we really made any money from that. But what happened is... While they were filming us doing that, the guys with breaking were watching them filming us going, oh, we're going to make a movie about this. Look, they're filming them. No movies about that have been out. Right. They were making, they were going to make Beach Street, you know. Right. Don't look at Wild Style. That's like a movie documentary kind of thing. It's not a documentary, but it's a movie. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Style Wars is a documentary about hip hop. And then breaking and entering is about West Coast hip hop, but they either are equal at the same time or breaking and I've been hearing breaking and entering predates Star Wars as the first hip hop documentary, not just West right. Coast. So I'm glad you brought that up. You, you know, it's funny because when I saw Egyptian Lover cutting and then I saw you cutting, I just thought it was one of the most amazing things <laughs> ever, you know. And I love that you said, you know, as a, as a DJ, I love what you said. Like, we cut on beat. Mm. Our thing was to keep people dancing. Hell yeah. Now, I heard that song, um, I want to say Request Line, mm. uh, Rockmaster Scott yep. is cutting and scratching. Somebody called. I want to hear him cut it up, you know, and he was like, cook, 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 cook. And I remember as a kid, I'm watching everybody still dancing, mm -hmm. you know, while they're playing that song. That's right. 
I was about 15 when I met Joe Cooley. He comes in, he grabs two Let's Works from Prince, and he starts, work it, get, get, work, work, work it. Like, and people are still dancing. Not even budging. They grooving. They don't even know what's happening it, yet. Exactly. Then they start noticing. Some people start looking. And that's when they look, we start doing behind the back and all that. And yes. That's when they, you know, I yes. did that. All my guys, you know, I didn't even know Grandmaster Flash went behind the back. But my arms, you know, I met him and I told him, I said, bro, not only do I did that record, I told this guy, he probably thinks I'm crazy, my boy Orlando. But I was like, bro, I think I decoded his DNA in that record because <laughs> I DJ exactly like that dude. He was, I watched him play a set for two hours. He did everything that I would have done. Literally. Wow. The way he would cut and blend and what songs and, and when I just don't talk, but when he talked, the whole vibe, I was like, whoa, this is deep. Like, I just heard myself play. Seriously. And wow. he was like, man, I'm just, because I'm a freestyler. So he was like, I had to play 70s. So he had to just play only 70s. So he had to just kind of feel himself a little bit and find his way. You know, you don't know 70s by heart when you're usually playing whatever else. Right. So he was rocking, bro. He was selecting the right cuts. And I was like, damn, it's a trip. I even told him. But <laughs> I wrap around the turntables the same way with the arms. And then that's the thing. But when I started, there was no faders. I started with knobs. Hmm. I used to use the Bozak and I used to do my cuts <laughs> with two knobs. My fingers are so long, I could turn two of them at the same time. <laughs> wow. And like... It was weird, bro, but I could I know how to spin them. It's a trick you learn with the knobs. Mm -hmm. That fader thing you was talking about when he was doing that, yeah. that was, I had been DJing before that. Right, right. <laughs> when that fader came, when I saw that cross fader, the first mixer I think I saw them was a realistic out here because I had never been to a pro audio place. Right. They right. didn't have that shit out here, right. pro audio. They had the federated group. <laughs> and you could get federated, wow. Right. So that's where I got my, I think it was a GLI or Gemini mixer, my first mixer. It's probably a GLI, one of those. Now, on that said, if you can remember when you and Egypt were breaking the entering, what type of turntables did you guys have? Because I don't know if you, did you guys have 1200s? Because I was looking in to see if those were 1200s techniques. Okay, so this actually goes into kind of how I got that name, the glove. Yes. So please share. The net, the, the equipment that was used at that always at radio was rented to them by the guy that who kind of put me like once he saw that I was playing records. I, I forgot how I met Jerry, but uh, shout out to Audio Entertainment. I used to deliver his gear, so they would rent when I when I first started DJing. I was on SLB one turntables. They're belt driven turntables, and if you touch that turntable, it's, you know what I mean. It is not gonna work with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. I used to use wax paper, and then I cut felt. First, I had wax paper with the rubber because it ain't no slip pads. Right. So I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool right here, the wax paper. So I used to cut the wax paper and put it under my, learn that. And then, because it was a backspin, you can't do that. See, first, before you get on tour, you got a backspin. So the whole wheel turns, not right. just the record. So it's an art to learn a backspin with B belt driven turntables, you're gonna fuck up. Let's work. You know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of that's check you, let's work. Let's work, 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 work. You could do I so I got light fingers on that. So when I went to go over here, meet my man Jerry, I was like, what are these? They was twelve hundred. I was like, dude, I was kept putting my finger on the thing. The thing I used to slow my records right. down with, the little knots, cut my fingernail like, oh, this is great. You can just like 
this is like taking off ankle weights. You know, this is right. incredible. So those turntables were 1200s because okay. I used to take those and deliver them and wear these great big super-sized long gloves because I used to deliver Serwin Vegas with them and they would pinch my fingers all the time with the metal corners. And I, the DJ, you know, we don't, we get manicures and shit. Right, right, right. I was like not feeling that. So I had some, like, like that dude right there is overly dressed. That's how my gloves were. So when I went to deliver the gear, they told me, well, you know, we heard you're a DJ. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm dope, bro. I'm the best DJ you know. And they were like, okay, dope DJ. What's your DJ name? And I was like, DJ Chris, like <laughs> epiphany. They was like, when you come back, we want you to come DJ tonight at 11. When you come back, we're going to have a name for you on the marquee. So I came back, said 11 p.m. I was like, yep. The glove, I was like, must be me. Went on and been that ever since. And I'm telling people, might have been another guy who's late. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? How did he take my name? You know what I'm saying? Right, right. But hey, first time I got my name, it was in lights. Dope. It was cool. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and press stop on the 1200 right there. And we're going to come back after a 10 minute break. Okay. So once again, everybody, you know what? I'm just like a kid in a candy store right now. So you know what? Call somebody and text somebody. Uh, right now, don't slap them. As a matter of fact, go get your popcorn, okay? And get a pencil and a piece of paper and take some notes. Because we got a West Coast legend in the building. We'll see you in about 10 minutes. Chris the Glove, Taylor, and Tony A. Wow. Only as a kid, I would have ever thought of saying that. Aha. We together, dog. Once again, everybody, welcome to Rolling Radio, episode 39. And you know what? I'm not going to waste any time. We're going to go ahead and jump right back into it. So now, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, I know today we have battle-style DJs, mm -hmm. okay? And we were touching on how we would keep DJ, I mean, the, the crowd dancing, and we would DJ by cutting and scratching on time, almost mm -hmm. like playing the guitar. Yeah, okay? rhythmic. Yes. Did you ever <laughs> turn your turntable sideways the, the, the way people Never. Do? Same. And you know what? And I still don't. No, but... I'm going to tell you, I do now. Okay. Because <laughs> two things. Number one, when I was DJing, the coffin was this long. <laughs> and I was one of the few dudes that could, you know what I mean? Most people would do like this. Right. Have to, but I could just flat, flat, flat. And that's that. So I found out in 2015 or 16, I started DJing. I had to do a comeback. I retired in 91. I never played a record from 91 until... 2011, I didn't play any records in no way, form or scratching of anything in the studio. I did one, most of my scratching I do off the Triton. I didn't even use, because I figured I can scratch. I don't need to go get a record to make it good. And I would use sounds and do them off of triggering and stuff for a while, TV stuff, all of the stuff I did scratching on. For that stuff to do quick was layered off of, you know, production. But the turntables, I found out the console got shorter by like this much, bro, like a foot. And then there's a there's a super duper thing about that. When you turn them sideways, guess what? How many times have you been at a party and you turn and hit the arm and you just put it back on? <laughs> when you turn them sideways, it ain't in. They're not in the way. Them arms are not here. So you can cut without hitting the tone arm. Me, I had to know how to, cause I used to drop, needle drop with part of it. Right. See, so I knew how to not fuck up the tone arm, 
because I had to know how to not fuck up the tone on them. These right. cats just said, fuck, I can't DJ. And so they cheated and turned them sideways, and now they can go between. Right, right. So that was just a cheat code. To me, I'm going to be honest with you, I still have them like, like regular. regular. Now, the reason why I have them regular because it keeps modern DJs off my turntables because they want to say, can you just turn us? Nope. Nope. That's it. I have them there with, with my, you know, my cases, mm -hmm. my mixer still with the lip. I bring them in. And I've always been fast on the turntables. Mm -hmm. And I got long arms as well. So most of the guys, can we just turn? Nope. But you know how to get over it. So yes. Yes, exactly. Skill. That's a skill. Now, now, let me ask you this. Can you remember um, who bought you or how did you save up or how did you get your first set of turntables? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure? I got a story for that one, too. So remember I was telling you that I was going to school for aeronautical engineering. I wanted to design this thing that could fly out into space and come back because they kept shooting rockets. Hmm. Then as soon as I get in college, that space shuttle, secret space shuttle takes off. Like, oh, well, <laughs> that idea came. So I'm not on a basketball team. Space shuttle just flew off. I'm fucked, bro. I'm like, I got no ideas. I'm 17. Like, shit. Life's over. You know? 17. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I go throughout this epiphany of DJing and all that. I go enroll in Santa Monica College, right? So I try to get into broadcasting crap but that is like a whole nother thing man and it's political and audio visual club type shit right i'm not that guy so i was like eh, radio dj is starting to sound like the same everywhere you can't really mobile disco wasn't really something i knew of, of right at that point it was happening but the djs were playing records like dj reg and these guys were disco daddy they were playing records they wasn't cutting and scratching so when i was like man you know, this whole thing is, is, is growing and growing. And I'm like, okay, well, Uncle Jam's Army and Capri Club and all these things start popping up. And these DJs are are still, they're playing hot records. But uh, I'm like, okay, well, damn, how do I get this gear? So I get a student loan. 2500 bucks from the school. Wow. <laughs> For books and stuff, whatever, car to get to school. I went to my dad. I was like. Okay, so check it out there. I'm not really feeling school so much. Like, I got this idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I had the money, right? So I said, and I got $2,500. Can I get this stuff? It costs 1800 or something like that. He said, yeah. So I gave him $2,500. I didn't, And I got the stuff. I guess it costs $2,500. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> not eighteen. Uh, but Pops, rest in peace, he allowed me to get that stuff. He set it up at the house in the garage and allowed me to learn how to do it. It was like whatever I wanted to do, my parents were always, well, you want to make black skulls with teeth? Here's the stuff. You know, right, right, you want to do the Pink Floyd coasters? Here's the stuff. Go at it. You know, they just, whatever it was, man, any kind of crazy idea, like cannabis, I got an idea. Tell my mom, hey, mom, can I grow weed? Is it legal? It's legal. How many can you grow? Six. Do it. Like, it's cool, right? So, took the 2500 got the turntables, but I, I still needed some stuff. Like, that was like the beginner kit. Right, 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 right. <laughs> a 1200 cost like $1,000 back then, you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Now, now let me ask you this. When you start, first started dropping needles, can you say that you were a natural or can you say you eventually just got good? I think I just got good because what happens is you have to 
put records, you know, put them on there. And, and like, for instance, they would bounce. Like, it would be a piece of rubber. It used to be a black rubber thing that come on a turntable, yes, right? Yes, And when you put the record on it and you put the needle, it bounces. It it bounces as well. So you could go to grab the rubber. It's so you take that rubber off and it's just this. And then you put the record on there. It's not bouncing the needle when you tap it. Like, I had to learn all of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was bananas, bro. Do you remember what mixture you had? I, the first mixer was black and orange, and I want to say it was a Gemini or a GLI, but I'm not sure. But after that, I was straight Newmark. Dope, dope. Yeah. Now, uh, you enter into, uh, you said radio, so you're referring to Radiotron. No. Okay. So, Radiotron, this is something I'm going to go all over the world and tell everybody because they got it all mixed up. Please. So remember I told you that there was a documentary being filmed already? We already had cameras and shit on. So when I started DJing at that place, I met cameras and movie. And ever since I met cameras, they've been in my life ever since. You know? So at 19 years old, I'm at radio. I'm DJing. We got cameras. They filming that movie now. We're just like, go, bro. It was not, so what happened with, with radio, it's called Club Radio. The ca calendar story, Club Radio. Everything's Club Radio. So <laughs> while they filming the movie, dude was painting, like imagine I said road, but not yum. Right. It just said road, he was busy painting and it said road and radio, just said road. And then the dude was like, they were arguing about the place because it turns out, it seems like there's a tale. I'm, I'm, it's unconfirmed on both sides, but I kind of believe it because of who told me, never know the guy to lie. Uh, he said that the guys who were promoting the club at the time were renting it to the movie guys without telling the building owners. Like, they were like, you promote, you didn't own this, but you got a show. And I came and said, I want to film a show. But it's like his building. He's renting it to right, right. But he don't. He went out the building. I talked to you. You hook it up. Mom giving me twenty five hundred a day. You know I'm gonna pay him two fifty, right? So you keep paying him. Here's two fifty. Here's an extra. You give him a little bit, but you clock it off of his face without him knowing. Like if you'd have said let's split it or something, he'd have been cool with it or something. Right, right. So they did that, and up. So all this happened while this dude is painting this mural uh, craze. I think is the one who did it too. So as he's painting it, they just like, no, you can't use the name radio. That's why it's like a heart. And then it's like Tron because he was putting something else. And then they said, no, you can't use this part that says EM radio. Uh -huh. So they just made a road Tron. That's not a real name of the club. The club in the movie is called Radio Tron. So everybody that's seen this movie, which is more people than have come to the club, yeah. have now changed the story and made that the club in the, oh, we heard it's a real club. You know what I mean? They get the story about radio from the movie. Right, And right. then in the movie, it's Radiotron. I'm DJing. I see's on stage. That must be where they was at, Radiotron. But Radiotron's a fake-ass name made for the movie. Okay. And then, after that, these guys, we left. Like, when that split happened and they didn't, we filmed the movie, psh, we was out. Uh, and then we filmed the second movie there. They did whatever. But uh, we didn't DJ it anymore. Radio was over. And they started a youth center, you know, yeah. or something, Radiotron. They kept the name on the wall. They was like, oh, Rodium Radio. Let's call it Rodium Radio. Because <laughs> they knew radio was the club. If they came back and said radio, it was pretty smart. They would have got 
them French dude, one of them dudes got held by terrorists for 30 days, bro. And they, the president of France came and gave him a medal for being held by terrorists. They had to negotiate his, these are these dudes. Right. He was trying to sell them a nuclear weapon. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> not fucking with these cats. How many years would you say that radio was open for? Uh, radio became, I'd say, honestly, shit. I remember starting in like July, August. I see flyers that say November 82. But I remember, man, I'm going to tell you, I DJed at radio. Most of my shit is a blur, literally. But from 82 to the movie, which was released in 84, like we went all the way up to almost the movie release. And then when the movie came out, like we was done. So 84, so two years. Okay. That's wow. it. Two years. So if you didn't go there in two years, you, you missed it. You missed it. Yeah. I went there twice. And uh, that's the first time I ever saw uh, Tony G spin there. That was the first time I've ever seen him. But I had an interesting question because. You saw him at Radiotron. Radiotron, right. correct. Because you. that's the thing. But now this is deep. Because at radio, the only people who ever DJed there other than a celebrity DJ was. Shake City Rockers, which is shout out to uh, the, uh, Booker T and uh, Chevy Shank and um, Suave, <laughs> all them cats. They were like the bane of my ass at that place, bro. They always wanted to DJ, but it was like, bro, I'm here. I come in at 11 and that's it. Y'all could DJ before <laughs> then or after I leave at five. But I'm rocking this motherfucker. So whenever I go to the bathroom or something, I'm sliding. But then it was me, Shake City. They were the openers. And then uh, Egyptian Lover. I let him, he used to come because I used to DJ with the Uncle James Army events. I'd just pop up and just play. When he turned his back, I'd jump on the turntable. When he turned, I'd turn my back. We both met at Playpen. Okay. So that's when I started DJing and met him. And it was like the same time, 83, 82, 83. And when I first saw him, I was like, that's the first person I ever saw from LA all them Shake City dudes are from New York that was the first person I knew from LA that could do what I did I never had seen anybody do it this was in probably 1982 because we did the movie in 83 right so right. in 82 it was just I mean I saw Egyptian I was self-formed I never saw him I heard him I was I started hearing about this guy Right. Egyptian lovers. The fuck is that? <laughs> like Prince or something? I mean, and, right. you know, and then later the Arabian Prince. And I'm like, oh, these guys are clowns, bro, with these names. Right, right. Then right. I seen them DJ and I was like, okay, they good, I guess. You know, right, Egypt right. was so smooth, bro. That's what I hear a lot. He was so smooth. He was like me. Exactly, bro. He didn't miss a beat. He's still the same way. You don't miss a beat. And see, me and Egypt used to do something. Man, Rab used to do it too, Arabian Prince. And then we got, you know, I guess Aladdin and all of them cat got it, you know, because they're like our kind of descendants. Yes. You know yes. what I'm saying? Re relatives, all love everywhere. All great DJs, way greater than me or whatever. But trip. We used to DJ at 45 speed to practice at all the way max, fast as you can play them records, to be faster than anybody. That's why you see these it's times where you'll see a cat be like, it, 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 okay, it's, it's time to time to because we was doing it. We was like regular speak what i'll play it backwards better than you could play it forwards you know what i'm saying like ah you know, so i'm glad you're saying that because one day joe joe cooley 
sees me cutting up its time. Man. Mm-hmm. And I had him on the green. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just a youngster. I had him on the green. Mm-hmm. And he takes off the needle, takes off the record, takes off my scratch pad, and he takes off the plate. He grabs a screwdriver, and he opens it up, okay? And he turns that little knob mm-hmm. where he speed up the turntable. <laughs> then he did the same thing, did it over here, matched them up. Okay, cool. Practice with them all the way up. And that's how I... That's right, bro. That's how you got to do it, man. That's yeah. like something we did. But, you know, I'm sure they did it. I didn't show him that. I did it. Right. Nobody showed me. We kind of are, ingen- you know, we have ingenuity. I think he figured that shit out on his own. Like, hey, <laughs> shit. I don't know anybody telling a story. Oh, yeah, I saw Joe Cooley how to speed up the table. I never even did that. Okay. Opened up some 1200s? Some 1200s. You had 1200s? Yes. Fuck, y'all was rich, bro. <laughs> well, they were used, shit. but I had a paper used route driver. 1200s? Yes. When you was a kid? Yes, when I was a kid. Shit, yes. bro. But realistic mixer, and of course, with the little click in the middle. Click, 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 click. But after a while, but going back so fast and putting some oil in there, that shit be sliding like butter. So, uh, yeah, but you know what? I love stay home. Like I, I repeatedly say on this podcast, I, I was never that guy. Let's go out with the girls. It's mm-hmm. Friday night. We got some 40s. I'm staying home because I was in love, man. I was mm-hmm. in love with my turntables. Yeah, they, right. You know, they mean everything, you know. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, I've seen you a lot on the dock and on the movie, and I know you did production for Ice-T. How did you meet Ice-T? At the club. So that night, I come in there at 11. I start playing records. And then this guy comes over to me and says, okay, so around this time, you know, play like an instrumental. I'm gonna say something, like I, I, I rap. I'm like, okay, I'm love. He's like, I'm Ice-T, I met him on stage. You know, you're like, okay, we're getting ready to go. Okay, ready? Tune to A flat, one, two, three, four. You know, basically, okay, we playing together? Okay, let's go. You know what I mean? So I start <laughs> playing records and I would cut and I was the first DJ that actually sounded like, like it was me, Egyptian Lover and Shake City. And then I even had other DJs that came, but he rapped about me. He could have rapped about all of us. It wasn't, nobody told him to make that song about, he could have rapped about six in the morning. I didn't give a shit. I had, this is how that record came about. So I met him at the club. Yes. And he's a great fucking mentor dude and been my big brother ever since I met him, right? Told me all kind of shit on life that's worked to this day. So then we're working on, we did Breaking and Entering, you know, blah, blah, blah. First dealing with music. And that's really the first time I made music. Hip hop. Made it. I was playing it, but I didn't make it. Right. So right. we're making these beats for this. So we made those. So then we're doing this movie, rec- breaking. They're like, hey, we need music for these scenes. So I'm like, hey, I can do music for the club scenes. So they say, okay. So I started with movies. I didn't make music for, nobody rapped on my records. I had the breaking and entering thing before anybody, what? They was rapping, but we was making records and using turntables and stuff, right? So from there, I made these two pieces for the two dance scenes. Reckless Tibetan Jam. I mean, uh, Tibetan Jam, no, it's Reckless and Tibetan Jam. They're the two. So then they call us up and it's like, hey, dude. Well, really, they called me because I had to hire everybody. I had to find, lucky for Victor Flores had introduced me to a guy who, he said, call this guy Dave Stores. He got a studio. Salty Dog out in the valley. I went out there. We made all that shit there. So me and Dave, Dave did all of the 
parts. While you're answering that, I need to bring up that guy, Dave Storch, because I see him on the credits. Can you mm -hmm. explain why he was on the credits? Because it was produced by Chris the Glove, but it would also say Yeah, Dave we Storch. wrote it together. And okay. so I just let, you know, what did I know? It was, I was the artist because they asked me to do it. This dude helped me. So it was and him and Ice-T rapped. And that's what the label said. Nobody had records that had, like, this is all new. Yes. Like who makes movie music for movie? This rap record was created for this fake rap club in this movie. <laughs> Yo, we didn't just say, oh, we got this record called Reckless. Put that in. That's how right. shit is now. Right. We I actually composed it to the scene. I had to get it on beat to match the cast dancing and all that shit. Wow. So it was fun. Now, now, if I may ask you, and me being a, if you will, a drum machine geek, what, what what did you use to create that those beats? Eight oh eight. It just eight oh eight. Yeah, one eight oh eight drum machine. It used to be an eight oh eight drum machine. These kits started popping up in different drum machines, and people got a new name for eight oh eight. And they use like the sub is the 808 when that's really just one drum sound in the whole <laughs> kit, let alone the drum machine itself does stuff to the drums attack and decay and stuff that you can't do. Even with all these elaborate shit you think you got in your bedroom, go get a drum machine and fuck with it. Right. And then you'll right. see that it's a different, like, let work it in here as it is. Don't put the software in and work it in your environment. Go learn a new environment and see what happens. Right, that's right. how you grow. Cats want right. to go. I'm dope in my bedroom. I was dope in my bedroom too. Then I met the SSL. I got doper. Got suckers. Dope. They're all suckers. <laughs> they fall for the bullshit. It's like coke is better. Evil is good. You guys are falling for it. Like, dude, really? <laughs> <laughs> the studios is dope and empty and cheaper too. Good for me. Right. Shit. You know, I I want to say it was like '87 when I first got introduced to the 808 drum machine. And I was barely learning how to use it. Then that's when Steve Yano says, I'll just get you an SP-12. Because at that point, 87, yes, you got NW. We sampling, bro. I started using, oh, let me see. When did I start using a, because I stopped. I did those. So remember, I started in movie music. Yes. I wasn't a hip hop dude making right. hip hop records. I was a hip hop DJ. And the DJ runs the shit. Yes. So you a DJ. Yes. So we, you know, I was just a DJ, not a producer. But I knew I could play and write music because I had written songs on the piano and stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna start doing R&B. It's way more money there. These cats getting a hundred thousand for a deal, and they can get three hundred and fifty thousand over here from a label like Dick Griffey's label. You know, they giving away money for R&B. So I got into that, and I started working doing turntablism for a lot of those. You know, people Quincy Jones had me, Lil Silas Jr., other big producers. Did a lot of crazy stuff. I did stuff for the police and all those artists over there on, um, oh, but I forgot to mention uh, one of the nights when I first started, like within the first six months, this chick comes and wants to get up on stage. So I used to like take her downstairs. There was a room downstairs about half the size of this and the ceiling was like in my head <laughs> under the stage with a couch and like a couple of chairs and a table with the little, with our rider on it. Cause we had learned how to get shit. Right. So. She get downstairs and we talking to her. I was like, well, you got that record. I know your record. Okay, cool. We play it. So we go up there and play the record. She sings as Madonna, right? Wow. She's singing everybody because my boy Jellybean was her boyfriend. Jellybean Benitez. Right. He's a DJ from New York. So he brought her, you know, but she's a freak, bro. She was trying to take everybody's clothes off. Like downstairs, she's taking off iced tea, trying to tongue kiss motherfuckers 
And we like, oh, and then upstairs, she tried again, started, she been tongue kissing and taking off clothes since day motherfucking one. I saw it. <laughs> Rolling radio exclusive, guys. Yes. That's dope. That's dope. Okay, so now, because let me tell you something. I remember one time I was uh, I was a mobile DJ as, as well, weddings, quinceañeras, backyard parties, home mm -hmm. parties, etc. And I remember I fucking had that breaking record, the, well, the um, reckless. Yes. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I thought at that time that that was the fucking dopest hip-hop song out at that time, brother. And I'm not just saying no, it, just saying it. Yeah. And I can tell my boy Derek, may he rest in peace, I go, dude, let me play this fucking jam. Let me play it because I just loved it. I just loved it. And to be able to have the man who created that man. sitting right across from me, it's a fucking dream come true. Man, I appreciate that. You know? I didn't even know people liked that record like that. I mean, we sold four million copies of the soundtrack, right? But I'm dumb. I'm from L.A. If I don't hear it on the radio... It ain't crack it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I played it some, but we were doing these shows like Skateland and Riverside and <laughs> Oakland and radio is now. We're not doing that no more. Now we're bouncing around. Radio's over. Right. Uh, Uncle Jam Army having a party. Let's go to the Civic. Let's go to the Vet. Let's go to, <laughs> let's get up on stuff. I mean, I'm just going to go up there and play records. Right. They don't even have, you know, I get money off the house parties. I go over there and just get on stage right so I, I had a question for you before we move on to uh, um other records that you produced um scratch dance mm -hmm. for us dj geeks that love bootleg records mm. can you can you share a little bit when did you create that <laughs> and what made you create that so once I got that Grandmaster Flash and the Wheels of Steel thing down it took like about once I figured out by same as I think Cool Herc, I had the volume up. My mom said something, I bumped the record or moved it, and I was like, because it sounds different in the headphones than it do over the speakers when it's loud. It's like, woof, 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 woof. he's moving the record with it up, the volume up. How daring is that? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. you can move the record with the volume up and be on beat, and people ain't laughing at you, ain't fucking it up. And then I got into it, and that's when I started cutting. But so, uh, Scratch Dance was like my answer to that. Once I mastered it, I wanted to make my own. Okay. And so really what Scratch Dance is was my set. Those were the records that I played. Wow. I just, so I got with a guy named Victor Flores and Carlos Mangalo, these two geniuses. One, they were like razor blade editors. They taught me all how to edit. So while I'm doing Reckless and doing that, I'm learning how to, actually we did Scratch Dance first. That was 82. And then, uh, he say, hey, I got Dave Storrs. You know, I told him about the movie shit, and he was like, go over here. But, yeah, I'm going to tell you, man, this cat, nice on the razor blade. I mean, make up, just just take, he used to get high, right? I didn't smoke weed or nothing. He'd smoke weed, take pieces of razor tape and tape them together to see what the hell it sounded like. Wow. That kind of shit. Now, now did you create that on a four track, or, or are we talking about splicing when you say razor blade? So this is what we did. I'm going to tell everybody how we made Scratch Dance. We got a... 15 IPS reel-to-reel that went 15 and 30. We did it at 30 IPS, which is inches per second, which is the best, highest quality. Like if you had 96K, that's the same thing. Or whatever it is now, 128. Don't really use that, though. Stay at 96 because that's what orchestral, you guys, producer bedroom guys. So, you know, we would get this. I would do the mixes like a mixtape. Yes. And I had it mapped out, like how long, because I don't play records very long. 
I like to get, I'm a break DJ. I'm a B-boy. Yeah. I only play the break usually. I play the intro break, a little bit of the part where the hook is, and go to the middle break, and I'm off to the next record because I need you to party. Yes. And I can play 30 records. That's why cats will hire me because I'll play in two hours. I like I started that set thing because I was like, man, I'm not DJing all night. How about if you go and then I come in at like midnight and I play from midnight to two, but you still got to pay me the same money. Matter of fact, because they try to argue, so you got to go higher. So I doubled it. Like I'm, you play less time and you won't double the money. I said, bro, they gonna party till they fall out when I'm DJing. So anyway, I worked that out and started having sets and carrying a record bag in '84. Cats didn't even have a record bag. I got that stuff and they turned them into record bags. Like, mm. you know, right? Like well, we cross colors. All right, yeah. shit. We did. Remember the cars? Yeah, we were doing. I can't. <laughs> nobody will believe me that I said we had I, my car in nineteen eighty. Four, when I got money from breaking, I put some 15-inch Epsilons on there with Pirelli P7s. Cars didn't have big wheels. They had small ones. They would put them on like slot cars. Everybody was on that shit. <laughs> 510s, Mazdas, all that, Capris. They was, we rolled out with the big wheels. And then look now, which one caught on? You don't see cars with small wheels, Ferraris and Lamborghinis. You see them with big-ass wheels <laughs> and little bitty tires. Mm, so... Same thing with the music, man. Be cutting edge. You just you can do the same thing. So that you created Scratch Dance because now I'm going to share with you something. I remember when we first got that bootleg record, you know, and for those that may not know what we're talking about, it was a record with, with grooves and on the other side, it was absolutely nothing. Yeah. And that's what drove me crazy because I love that. It was, it, it was something there. Yes. Though. Oh, it was? Mm -hmm. Okay. You have your record? No, I don't. Have not, you, ever, not you never looked at that? No. So let me tell you, when you flipped it over, you move it to the light, it's etchings on there. Drawings. Pyramid. It's got name, my name. I think I did sign it. Oh, wow. This etchings in the vinyl on the B side. You got to look at it. Okay. And so, but what we did was we called it Pyramid Mix and all that shit. It was Scratch Dance, the Pyramid Mix. Everybody thought it was Egyptian Lover. Wow. Because that's what we wanted, because we were bootlegging vinyl. All those records that was on there, dude, we, we sold so many of them things, we got sued like a buck. And then when they go, I pointed them over there because he didn't do it. Right. So they're going to be like, well, what'd you do this? And he'd be like, do what? And so they'd be like, well, it ain't him. Nobody thought it was me. Right. I didn't start right. telling people about Scratch Dance until I just let it be legend. I used to go into parties and hear him playing it, and dudes would be up there going, I used to crack up like, hey, man, that's a record you, I walked right over to him. I wouldn't say it was mine or nothing. I was like, I think Egyptian Lover, you faking to be the Egyptian Lover? I've done that to at least three DJs. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's dope, though. I like that. Mm. You know, you know, it's funny because I put that on a cassette one time and I let my boy play it on a boombox and he was playing and he was like, who's that? And I was like, yep. <laughs> That's this all guy. the time. All, and then every time before Raid came in, boop, 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 I go, that's yeah, was, right there. Yeah, and I, I made that boom, boom, I used to take a beat that would go like, a beat would be like, doom, doom, pat, doom, doom, pat. And it was a part to go, pat, ba boom, boom, pat, right? So the boom, pat, the second one, yes. I could just uh, make play it how I want. I could go, boom, pat, boom, boom, pat. That's what I was doing when you see me in Egypt. Yes. And I'm looking at him going like this. I'm actually making the beat. And he's like putting a clap on top. I'm going, boom, clap, boom. I'm doing the kick and a snare. That's dope. Yeah, and so 
we used to do that, or I would do the kick, and he would switch to the snare, and we would switch up or start scr- I mean, this, that's what we would do. One on each turntable. Dope. Yeah. Once again, we're going to go ahead and press stop on that 1200. We're going to take a 10-minute break. We're going to come back. Man, let me tell you something. I'm going to have to bring you back because we're just talking DJing. We're, we're not even talking about production, really. Man, I'm having such a great-ass time. I feel like a fat kid that. eating a chocolate cake with chocolate all over my face. That's how much I'm enjoying this shit. Yeah, so, man, once too. again, everybody, call somebody, text somebody, slap the hell out of somebody, let them know they yeah. get their West Coast legend story straight. We're talking mm. scratch dance. We're talking iced tea. We're talking radio slash Tron. Uh, uh, we'll be back in about ten minutes. Okay. Once again, Chris the Glove Taylor in the motherfucking building. Yeah. Once again, everybody, welcome to Rodeo Radio episode thirty-nine. Before we jump right back into it, uh, I want to thank my boy Jen uh, from Fashion Town. He actually blessed me with this shirt and blessed me with this hat. Jen from Fashion Town in the city of Carson. He's located on Carson Street and Western. That's where you can find him. So, Jen, much love, much respect. I truly appreciate the gear. If you want to get your Ben Davis, your Dickies, your Pro Clubs, whatever, he's got it. You want to get your hats, he's got it. Go visit my boy Jen, uh, uh, Fashion Town. So, once again, my brother, it has truly been an honor and a pleasure to be able to chop it up with you. Uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to make a part two because there's just so much more that I want to ask. Mm-hmm. So now you're DJing, you're producing, uh, what you're doing, if you will, started making records for movies first. Mm-hmm. Okay. You did bootlegs, so much that you're accomplishing. At that point now, what, what is pretty much your next move as far as uh, uh, production is concerned? So as I'm doing these things and running around and just really cutting up and now that I made this money from breaking, I'm just like acting a fool, you know. <laughs> you hey, know. it's okay to party a little bit. Man, I was like, what? How? And it keeps coming. Like every three months is more money. It's like, oh, damn. I didn't want to do nothing but movie music because the other stuff wasn't like cats don't really eat off of that. It was like, uh, you know, this record, you got to go perform. Yeah. Take your man, that's work, bro. I could go to the studio and make some music for a scene and get $20,000 in 1984. So I was like, I'm doing this. Wow. So, you know, but the production thing was so, it was funny. As I was doing the R&B things I was telling you about, yes. I went into uh, a mode where I wanted to have R&B group. So around the time I was developing my group, Jodeci came out, right? So it was cool, though, because we were more like BBD. But Jodeci came out and kind of knocked us back a little bit. And so we kind of regrouped and changed up. But we were signed to Ruthless in 89. That's when I met Dre. So my production, I, I got signed with Dr. Dre. As an R&B producer, not a hip hop producer, mm. he wanted somebody who had an understanding of production that could do what he did on a level he felt was equal as him, so he could be in two places at once. That's what he told me. So smart man. Yeah, I, this is 1988. He's telling me this, dude. I didn't know about how you had to double yourself to get wealthy until two years ago. J. Roll taught me that. I did not know that. Like the key to wealth is employees, not what you do with your money. It's how many people you got working for. They always talk about Bloomberg. You know what they say? He got 10,000 employees. They don't even got to count the money. You got that many people working for you? So, you know. Wow. Uh, I always do this, man. I went into that. Yeah. Signed to Ruthless. You meet Dre. Dre right. So himself. Dre comes up to double himself. 
We get over there, and then what I did for Dre was I showed him things I was doing that he was telling me he was mixing these songs and how they were mixing them. Like, all of us got to get on the board, and there's seven of us on the board, and I need Ren and, and Yellow to pull a breakdown and hit the mute at the same time. So this is what we do, and then we edit it. You know, they stop and do it again. Somebody would always fuck up. I was like, bro, I've been working over here. They got this shit called automation. Automation. Check it out. Come over here. So once he signed me, I started working on the record. And when I went to mix it, I took him to Can-Am. And he sat in Can-Am. He, he had never been in the SSL room. Ever. And that shit in Can-Am looked like a jet cockpit on giant swole size. That's the baddest room. I, one of the baddest rooms I've ever been in until he built his. <laughs> and, and, and this was still in the 80s, possibly? Fuck yes, 80. Nine, I took him over there. Like all that NWA records, Hundred Miles Running, and all them were mixed at Donovan's. At Donovan's. And yes. then after that, like we started using. So I showed him what I was doing, and then he went and got with Dick Griffey. Dick Griffey had an SSL, and so we started working over there on his. But he worked. You know, I showed him Can Am. Now this is before Death Row. This is Ruthless. Uh, he's still making records with Ruthless. Um, and uh, we only mix at those rooms. We didn't, you know, we did all the work somewhere else and I showed him the mix room and this dude was, oh. So we, I kind of showed him that. And so that's more, remember I told you about the instruments and that yes. thing too. So more of that than just writing tracks. I do tracks too, but you know. Right, you know, because uh, I recorded half of High C's album at Donovan's, the Audio Achievements, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, uh, I only found out about that place because of the guy that I consider my mentor, uh, my manager time, Steve Yano, with, uh, oh, yeah. this Japanese That's man. how they found out about it. Yes. <laughs> and and he would take me Rest over there. Rest in peace, Steve. Yes. So I met Donovan. I met Mike Sims. Mm. And uh, I got to see Dre, you know, work yeah. his magic on the 12 and everything. And when, when we finally got a record deal, we got our budget. And I told Steve, I want to record there, man. And he goes, yeah, but Donovan's charging us 75 mm. bucks an hour. I know. And I was like... I want to record there because mm -hmm. that's where I saw Dre from the world class wrecking crew produce. Yeah, that's a thousand dollars a day almost, man. You yes. gonna blow your whole budget. I know, I know, mm -hmm. but it, you know what? It, it fulfilled the dream. No, you did. Let me tell you, everyone we did, we were spending two thousand dollars a day for the studio. I learned all my okay. So I've written music at home. Granted, lots of songs. The biggest records I got were written in the studio. Hmm. Not like, I mean, all of it, the music, the lyrics, everything. It's like when you're spending 2500 a day and you're eating the best food and you're working on music and you got no problems, really. You're just working. Yes. You don't know how much this place costs. You just, <laughs> right? Oh, we get free food? We just spend $1,100 on food. You know, getting Roscoe's three times and shit. Yeah. Each is 80 of us. You know what I mean? Shit like right. that. So... You know, we would be in the studio, like four or five of us, and there'd be a gang of cats all over everywhere else. But yeah, man, making that music, the first move from that into production, it was almost like, because I got signed to do an R&B group, my group, working with Dre, even when he got into the chronic, it was like still R&B. It wasn't no different. It was the same thing. He was just rapping. Okay. You know, because I wasn't really, still really in the rap. I mean, I didn't really play NWA. I was actually playing No Vaseline until I met Dre. <laughs> well, yeah, I think No Vaseline happened right when I met the dude. Wow. And I used to play it. I met him in 1989. And I used to, until I, when I met him, I stopped playing it. Because they used to 
man, I used to see them cats. Not that I was afraid to get my ass up because I played the fuck I want. Right. But I, that was my boy. So now I'm with them. Yeah. So fuck no Vaseline and all that shit you saying, Cube. I don't even know what the story is. I'm just on this team. I right. could be completely wrong. <laughs> but you, what the hell are you going to do? <laughs> so so uh, did Dre ever tell you or did um, about when he was in the league ruthless and start his own? Yeah, I was there. Okay. The whole thing. I watched the whole thing happen. Instigated it. So Dre actually left death row. For, I mean, I'm sorry. That's another story. Ruthless. He left Ruthless for a number of reasons, but the main one was, you know, he probably, I'm just assuming, I know what happened, but I'm going to say what I would have affected me was my friend, you know, didn't tell me the amount of money that I was really should have got. Like, you my boy, right? He may know. He could cheat me. I don't know that dude. Right. But you got to, you know, what the fuck, bro? Yeah. So I guess the stuff we showed him in our contract, that's Poor Broken Lonely, uh, which was the name of my R&B group. Uh, shout out to RC. He's on the live stream too. And Mike Lynn is out there somewhere. Uh, with the other stories of real estate and cars and everything's coming from Jerry and who's doing your taxes, Jerry's guys. And it's like, dude, like, think he's stealing from me? <laughs> no. He pays me my money, then he takes my money and he pays other stuff. Dude, he getting kickbacks from everywhere. His cousin gave him the cars. His other cousin got the houses. His brother-in-law got this. It's all Heller Industries. He just takes their money and blew himself up. So, something happened within our deal with Epic where there was supposed to be more money than was seen. And it's funny because on that day, we went to go do the Arsenio Hall show. Mr. Lay was performing. And, and NWA sitting in the front row. They got me. It's Dre. I'm sitting next to Dre. It's Easy, Ren. And yellow, and I'm in. It says NWA, and me and my boy Mike Lynn are in the picture. <laughs> we're like, we're not NWA. And then back then, it wasn't cool to be thought. It was like, fuck, they fucked us up, you know, for real. Because um, where I came from on the West Side, NWA, NWA was just not the lick. It was stay or some, right? You know what I mean? But it turned into whatever. So yeah, man, the the music through. My production status then began to just level up with him because we just kept making songs and records and the shit was amazing. But that SSL was key okay. to what he was doing. So he leaves, if we jump a little bit ahead, he leaves Ruthless. Mm -hmm. Then he tells you, I'm going to go over here uh, to death row, if you will. Yeah. He brings you along? No, what happened was, so he leaves, well, we left at the same time. All of us, my group, which was bringing them like a half million dollars, on just getting deals. We left, Dre left, DLC. Um, so they lost a few artists. Yeah. And uh, went to a company with no name until hooked up with some friends and ended up working out some kind of way to get this name, Death Row Records. But we had started making music before the name. Like we left, like we all walked out the building together. Okay. You know, type stuff, you know. So, yeah, I've been with Dre. I'm not with none of them record companies. I'm with Dre. Dope, dope. Yeah. So, uh, um, I, I'm not sure if it was the doc, a documentary or it was like, I don't know if it was a miniseries that Dre was working on that whole Chronic album at his house. Well, yeah, well, at the house. Okay, so he yeah, had this house in Calabasas, right? Shout out to Colin Wolf. What's up? And DLC. Uh, <laughs> the rumor is someone started a fire. 
barbecuing or something. I wasn't there this particular day. The house, the roof or something caught on fire. Yeah, I know that's funny, right? The roof is on fire. <laughs> so Dre had to move to another house, and so we moved to Malibu. Yes. Had the studio and all that in Malibu. And that's where G-Thing was done, and Deep Cover was done there as well as in uh, over there where we were on Kawenga, which became the Death Row Studio, but it was uh, Solar Records at the time. And Solar, it, through Epic, put out that soundtrack of deep cover yes from the movie and that was like the first death row thing it was all the artists and everybody on there that's why we're on the cover says featuring got, you know supposed to go like that so that's where we're at doing that and then we're working on you know other stuff and we got g thing in the cut we did deep cover we got g thing then we started working on uh the chronic album kind of itself and we just in there making songs and Trey's like man I want you to do this song I want to call it Stranded on Death Row again everything title what samples how to not how to do the beat but basically use this loop blah 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 so I I got it he's like you got to get this record I want you to have something on my album so I got I did it we did it got Bushwick on the intro and it's funny to me because I always love it because Bushwick's talking over Oregon yes and, and yes. I play Oregon yeah. So like I always like that's the first song. I mean, Reckless, of course, I had been platinum, whatever. But this was like some shit. I'm working with a star and you know. Yeah. So I was like, oh, and it got the organ at the beginning too. It's like, ah. Now, now so, for me, I'm gonna ask you, uh, uh what did you use to create that? MPC? That was a sample. Oh, the drum, the, yeah, yeah. the beat. Yeah. Oh, my MPC 60, bro. We went off that shit so fast. Like, I was the drum machine at 808. That was the thing of the pat. That sound sounded old. Yeah. You got to remember, it didn't come back until the mid or late 80s with ballads. <laughs> like the SOS band and stuff. They brought it back. <laughs> That's the 808 drum machine. Right. Without the sub, guys. So, uh, you know. Okay. So, so now you get stranded on death row. Obviously, we know the history of it. It fucking goes through the roof. Okay. Uh, uh, if I'm correct, the next one is Snoop Dogg uh, album. Mm -hmm. uh, how much production did you have in that? Because people are dying to hear this. <laughs> well, okay. Like, even on the Chronics, the Chronic record, it was the same thing. Like, I brought the SSL idea and that thought and lifestyle. And then we went over there and did it. So it's, And then I mixed the record with Dre. So on the Doggy Style, uh, Basically, I was with Dre every day. So when we worked, it was just work. And some tracks I did. I played all the parts. Some tracks I played some part. But I feel like we did it as a group effort and you right. know, we produced this album. You know, there's some individual things that people have said. For instance, Doggy Dog World was like the one thing I did everything on except the drums and the vocal. You know, I played all of the sounds. So right. that's like my song, you know, for me yeah. of that time. But there's other songs that I worked on at the time. You know, like I was saying, um, I did all the gunshots on that damn album. Everywhere you're hearing a gun, that's glove. <laughs> and then I uh, I picked them out too. Found the sounds. So then uh, I played like live hi-hats on like uh, the song with Bernard Wright. We kept having problems trying to program them. This is all NPC stuff. Yeah. But it's easier to, you know, I didn't know I was a drummer or could do that shit. Dre was like, you could do it. We're going to have to keep punching it, but we just get a take and roll. Wasn't no punch. It was cool. We probably punched it a couple of times. Right. Same thing. He kind of got me like, you could play. Like, I, he wanted the bass, but I would play it a certain way. He was like, man, just play it. I was like, nah, we got to, like, sequence it. And he was like, nah, just play it. And he used to encourage me. He, I started just, because I used to play the Fender Rhodes 
in high school, we didn't have enough trumpets for melody. So they used to roll me out on a stand at football games and I used to play the chord in the bass line. Wow. And while the band was, I was like, it was like being on stage then. Like yeah. I said, it's weird, bro, when I look back on how things worked <laughs> out. <laughs> now, uh, for me, I'm going to ask you on the doggy dog world, boo, boo, boo. Yeah. What, what did you play that on? Mini Moog. So Mini this is the story. So I come to the studio, I walk in, Dre's got the drum beat going, and my man T Green playing the bass. He's a badass bass player. They made up this bass line. I walk in, I hear the bass line. I'm like, oh, that's dope. So the mini move is sitting there. Now we we use a bass, we use them together a lot. People don't understand that. But in this particular instance, it seemed like the bass itself was just not the feel he wanted. The bass line was dope as fuck. So I started playing it on the move. Boom. And the way it moved on the move. It was just record that. So I played the shit. Then I started putting the chords and little sounds and all that little <laughs> shit. I like it. I love it. What about this? You like it? Love it. Boom, boom. He's producing the shit out of me. I'm just not even knowing. We finished, I hit a song, I'm like, oh, we're dope. You know, you're dope. We did that song and puffing on blunts the same day. The one I used for the ad. Mm -hmm. We did that the same day as Doggy Dog World. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, now, now <coughs> if, uh, if I'm correct, maybe my ears don't serve me right. Did I hear congas in there or anything like that? Well, was that a sample or was that live? On Doggy Dog World? On Doggy Dog World. Uh, anything that was there, we did percussion. Yeah, that's, I, I heard some. I Any percussion was, was live. Okay. We did the drums and the basic backbeat with loops and drum machines. Okay. Hi-hat shit. But like anything you heard that was ill or dope or remember all them sounds that quick stole afterwards <laughs> that shit can you say that again that sounds that quick stole by taking butch and using butch once people that's why we don't let people come to fucking studio because then they meet who the fuck we use and then they try to incorporate it in their shit so we stop making it like if you notice that shit went over there and stay we even stopped working with butch <laughs> You know what? I'm glad you said that because I heard Dre years ago after he came out with the first Chronic album. He said, yeah, man, there's a lot of dudes out there stealing our sounds. And it was true. Man. And it was true. But they was like part of it. Like, you know, kind of ish. Like the guts of it was like Colin, Dre, me, Justin, you know, them dudes. You know, DLC wrote all of the pentameters and all the lyrics that they couldn't, you know, this dude, you could hear him all. If you know Doc, you could hear him rapping on that album. Yeah. Almost everything Dre said. So, you know, it's just was such a great, that dude is such a great conductor. He just put that shit together. How you got this up here with Yoda. It's amazing. <laughs> that's And people, you know, you take that picture and that's, oh, that's dope. With the rhodium back, that's a masterpiece. It takes time to do that. How many times you move them around and shit? It's like making a record. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. 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 It's all art. And so, you know, but yeah, man. Well, you know what? Uh, um, now, the Snoop album uh, comes up, goes through the roof. But let me touch really quick on that one song, Doggy Dog World, because it's one thing I love about that song is the video. Were you there at the video shoot? Yes, I was. Now, you, you, you know what I liked about all of it? That I saw a rerun. <laughs> that I, I saw a rerun pop locking. Like, to me, that was like the shit. My Man. dog almost bit rerun that day. <laughs> I went up there with my Rottweiler since it was Doggy Dog World. I said, come on, Kilo, we gonna go check out your video. Uh -huh. So I took my two-year-old Rottweiler up there. And you know, I would have never thought that he, like, wh whose idea was that? Oh, that was all, all the video and stuff? That's when he, 
when Snoop said he wanted to put the dramatics on the track, right? He walks in and goes, we're going to put the dramatics on here. And I'm like, Snoop and T. Green. I don't know. T. Green, Snoop, one of them. It was a great idea, right? I was like, oh, a dramatics? Because you got to remember, they was old. Yes, yes. They didn't have no record out. They was played out. Like, what the fuck, the dramatics? Okay. Because it was like, let's see what they got. And it worked. Oh, my God. They came in the next day. We did the tracking and all that other song that first day. They came in the next day and laid them vocals. I was like, man, that <laughs> shit is dope. <laughs> So so now after that pretty much did you have any production on the uh the Dog Pond album? No. Okay. Now Death Row was pretty much uh if I'm correct over aftermath takes place and you go with and, and I, I know I'm jumping ahead, hmm? but no. you go with Drake to Aftermath. Well kinda like what happened was I left Death Row first. Okay. You know, I got, you know, threatened enough times and never nobody touched me or nothing. Grace of God, of course he blesses us, but you know, I just was like, this is, I'm not getting really, you know, I'm not rich. Right. I'm not remembering getting any, you know. <laughs> so. I wouldn't offer you one, but I You but, did offer me both, bro. I'm happy. You got that. Mine's over here. I'm going to burn it later. Don't oh, worry. He's a good host. All good. So, you know, I just was like, eh, whatever. But I didn't really go with him. I left. Okay. And then. They didn't like it, and it was pretty bad. I got a gate at my house now to this day, and it, nobody really knows, but it's the Suge Knight gate. One night it came, he came. I, where I grew up, we, okay, so real back, DJing. Got yes. my gear. My daddy let me have it. We used to have a, we didn't have a fence, so you could walk by my house and see down the driveway all the way to the garage, because mm -hmm. our neighborhood was like that. You know, mm -hmm. no gates, no reason. So fast forward to the Suge Knight gate, so they come to my house one time, and the dog. And they walk around my house and bang on all the doors and windows all the way around. Imagine somebody, you in the house and somebody bang on all your doors and windows, even the ones back here. Wow. The next day, 15 foot wrought iron gate all around the house. <laughs> Seriously. So uh, actually that house I'm talking about is the house that the gin and juice video was shot in. That's my house. So mm -hmm. if you ever saw Gin and Juice, yes. and they go had a party, and then they run out the bag and all that, oh, that's my house. I live there right now. Okay. So a lot of people don't know that, but so, yeah, man. So Rolling Bay so, exclusive. Yeah, so when I left, then they figured out it was bad, uh, as I was telling them. So then they all left, including Dre, Sam Snead, all of us kind of left. And then Dre started Aftermath, but I was over here doing some other shit, working with George Michael, had a new manager, doing some stuff. And George Michael. Yeah, I did work with George Michael. I produced, uh, I did a remix on a couple of songs with him. Fast Love was the song. Actually, the version they put out are the vocals that I mixed. They put the my mix of the vocals on the main version. Hmm. People don't know that, but it's whatever, whatever the dude's name is. You know, since I'm a, I'm a fan of George Michael as a young boy in, uh, middle school mm -hmm. or they call it middle school but it was junior high back yeah, then that's where i, I went I, I was a big fan of wham mm -hmm. okay so let, let me i'm gonna ask you a question about george michaels how was he as a person was he a really cool dude i didn't meet him okay but i always i felt like he was cool too until i started hearing the weird shit yeah but i mean i never heard no stories or nothing i didn't know it was weird until he, maybe he was weird in the united kingdom and not in america or something because <laughs> that fool was out of control right rest in peace george michael rest in peace for the talent mm -hmm. so, so i was doing work with other people and then he you know my boy mike lynn 
who was in my group, he was over there working with Dre, and Dre, they called me, and was like, come over here, and I was like, I need some money, and blah, 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 so they gave me the money, and so I went over there. And then it was like, cool. Uh, but then it wasn't cool. I don't know, something happened, I forgot what, something weird. I got sick, too, so I had to have brain surgery at the time. Wow. Yeah, so I went through this whole thing with brain surgery, and I had to, I was on Good Morning America and Dateline NBC, for my surgery, because it was an experimental surgery. So that had nothing to do. They found out I was a music producer and was like, oh, we could, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, but it was cool, man. You know, something happened. We parted. Um, during that time, I did Hello and Explosive when I was under contract with Aftermath and um, worked on a few other songs with them. But those were the ones that I think were the most, I mean, other than Phone Tap and all of that firm stuff that I did with them. Yeah. But then, you know, it just was, I was cool. I just needed to do something different. And that's when I got into television music. Okay. So, you yeah. know, I, I wanted to ask you something about The Firm because a lot of people were asking. Yeah, he did uh, uh, He did a lot of stuff with The Firm. Um, a lot of people thought, I, I liked the album. Mm -hmm. A lot of people thought it should have did more. Mm -hmm. I don't know, did it or why didn't it? Well, I think... Okay, so you're saying they thought it should have sold more? Yeah, like I, the I, songs were fine. Yeah, I, I love that the album. The songs need to be more better. No, I mean, uh, as the, how come it didn't sell? That's what people are asking. Yeah, like, they do. Um, well, basically, when the firm came together, it was a great idea. Super group, East and West Coast merging. We produced better than them. Yeah, I said it. And then they rap better than us. Obviously, they've been doing it longer. These guys are legends just opening their mouth, yeah. you know? So, what the fuck? Great idea. <laughs> so, but Dicky gets killed in L.A. Tupac had died. Some, we're not going to New York. They're not coming to L.A. So, we got this money for this record. We got to do it. So, we all go to Miami and do this record. So, it was like kind of, we had to do it in like two, three weeks. So, it was kind of rushed along, but not really, because I told you how we write songs, right? So, like Phone Tap, same shit. Um, when we got there, it's kind of a funny, quick story. So I came to Aftermath after it was, the only thing they didn't have was a name. We was Black Market Entertainment at the time. Okay. So, but it was another company called Black Market Records that was like, we gonna keep our name. Right. I never heard a record from them, but I think they did, a, I'm sure they made money, whatever, they could keep their name. So when I got there, it was other producers there. It was like a squad or whatever. And I didn't know anybody. I was just me. I worked with Dre. So they kept saying, we getting ready to go out of town. As soon as I get there, they're like, okay, we got to do this, been there, done that, and the other music for the compilation. But we immediately going out of town to do the firm. And you got to, this is what this nigga told me. I think it was Stu, excuse me, brother <laughs> told me, man, you got to, you gotta get you know get your songs up so you can get your seat on the plane to go to Miami. I looked at him. I was like, bro, I'm sitting next to Dre. What? Like, whatever. So <laughs> then when he said that, I decided I wasn't gonna make any music. I had like six, seven songs that I was calling mob music that I was working on. Right. But I didn't let him hear none of them. Like I played Dre like five songs, right? But I didn't give them to him. I just played them for him, like and took them. And then, uh, but he was like, okay, we're going to Miami, whatever. So I, I had one sample that I could not get to work. It was just off. I was, was fucking eating me alive. So I got to, I had been listening to this shit on the dad and it was like a 3-3 three, three beat. It wasn't 4-4. Four, four. So, you know, 4-4 four, four is doom, pat, doom, doom, pat, you know, one, two, 
three, four, which is what most of us dance to, right? Yes. Well, back in the day where I'm pulling music from, they used to waltz. So waltzing is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So try to put one, two, three with one, two, three, four. Train wreck. So I'm sitting there, how do I do this shit? So finally, we go to Miami. I ain't got no songs. So I'm like, I got to make something up, bro, because I got to get paid. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sit in there, and they're working on, we're working on a song with uh, Luther Vandross. We used a sample with Luther. I forgot the song, but Dawn Robinson was singing the vocal because she did the firm biz, and we were doing another song with her. And I had my headphones, and I'm in the drum machine, so we used to have everything plugged up to the board, right? But I'm back there with my headphones working on this phone tap thing. I think I got it, right? I caught it swinging, and I started fucking with it on the pads. And now, oh, because I had it with my drum machine and all that at the lab. We used to have this thing called the Dome. 100,000 records, drum machine, that, samplers. We used to go in there. That's why we was like super duper. We had every record damn near. So I'm working it. I got the beat. I'm, so I go to my man, Bud. I'm like, I got an idea. Hey, Bud, this is your drum sounds. Can I, should I load? What? I didn't bring no sounds. I got to get some records and make some drums. What's up? Yeah. And he was like, no, nah, you need to go ahead, man. I'm like, look, bro, really, this one sounds cool. I don't, this is your shit. If I use it, you won't be able to use it. He's like, ah, they're laughing like, oh, everybody's <laughs> laughing at me and shit. Like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, because they don't, I, you know, I've been working with Dre. We did the Chronic and all them other big records. They haven't done no big records yet with, with us. He did Bow Down and some other stuff, my boy Bud, and, but nothing like what we had done. Right. So I was like, well, okay. So I did phone tap. I'm banging the beat up, right? I got the beat going. I got the bass going. Everything going, right? So I'm just sitting there bopping. They were doing some shit. I'm in my world with the headphones on. So Dre saw me. He's like, man, what glove got cooking? So they used to take like, if you working on a beat, he would turn the volume all the way up. And if that shit was whack, you would get laughed out the room. We used to clown everybody with that move, right? Cats were like, no, no, no. Like not ready or whatever. Right, right, right. He looked, he he reached to turn that shit over. He looked at me. I did like this. I looked at him like, I dare you to turn it up. He turned that shit up, phone tap came on, literally. The phone tap without the keyboard part, the bass, the drum, the whole shit, right? Nas and AZ come running upstairs. They was down there working on affirmative action. No, they was working on uh, Desperados. They came running up, taking them big ass notepads, <laughs> turned the papers off, sat down. Man, what are we gonna make this about? Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, bro, whatever you do, man, you know how I said this. I was like, yo, you know how they do songs, a part of a song be the telephone, just a little part. I said, I think that shit sound ill. And with y'all's voices, we used to do the whole song on the phone. No way ever done that. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, so we should be like, you could be in Bolivia and he he could be in Europe and, and nature could be in New York. And he was like, yeah. And they was like in Brooklyn and uh, Philly. <laughs> right, 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 right. I was like, this is supposed to be international, but whatever. So, you know. That, the video, all that with phone tap, it was like, oh, we were, you know, boom. It was, I was all in that, not just the beat, but the whole shit, the visuals. So I felt like when I saw them, when, when, when Funk Flex played phone tap for the first time, I heard it played in the tunnel right after Keep Your Hands Where Your Eye Can See, which was the biggest song ever on earth at the time. It was like, doo -doo 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 -doo. that New York, yeah. when that come on, all of New York start dancing. People being asleep like, doo -doo 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 -doo. you know what I mean? Babies. Yeah. Everybody dancing in New York when that shit come on. Yes. He was like, oh, y'all want to hear this? 
or this. And me and Dre were standing together with the guys. We was up on the, they had a bridge, damn, across like the tunnel where you could kind of look down. And that nigga thing, boom, cock, boom, boom, phone tap. That, the top blew off of the tunnel. Everybody, it was Nas. Everybody started screaming. Oh man, I, I felt like I lifted up off the ground. That was my <laughs> shit, right? Bang, and I was like, I could feel it like I was David Banner. Or, yeah, is that the one who becomes a Hulk? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, bro. I was like, ooh. Don't get me angry. You wouldn't like Ooh, and Dre was, he was the same. We was both swelling up like a motherfucker. So, uh, we always felt like if they had released Phone Tap first, it would have just went platinum instantly. Instantly. Yep. Instantly. That was my favorite song off that whole fucking album. Most people's. So now, just uh, if you can elaborate a little bit more on Explosive. <laughs> so, Explosive. This is another one, like Explosive, Hello, those were done on the same day. Hello is N.W.A., Hello, boom, boom, boom. I started this gangster shit. I did that track. Mm. So that and Explosive were done the same day for King T, for his album. Really? Yeah, both of those. Those tracks were written for King. He got vocals on them somewhere. I, so Explosive, you know, I started putting that together. I was like, Dre, man. We need something like this. I took that Bumpy's Lament sample. It was really, it was Mob Deep had sampled it in some kind of way. Or Mob Deep or Little Kim, they both had kind of, she did it backwards. It was that song, Never a Flaw. That's Bumpy's Lament, but it's backwards. Most people don't catch it there. Okay. So I was like, we need to take this and go. The way it was on the record, but with I had this loop, it was gonna and I was stopping it. Remember, I told you how I used to do it with the turntable, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to do that with the drum machine too. I would oh. be like, pat, pat, pat. so I was doing it with the drum machine, so the loop part, and I was like, we can do this, and then I started playing that loop, and then I recorded it. And he was like, so I put the I like, and then he was like, you know, I'm on this thing where we're better. So I'm like, we just need one kick, one snare, and one hi-hat. Fuck all the stacking sound shit. That's what changed music for me. I became a minimalist at the time. I said, that's it, bro. I don't want none of that. We need the dopest. So I found the sounds. He got on the EQ and... Because that... It's the hat, too. It's yes. all together. Boom, That's it. It's just them sounds with where their space. And it came from you. Yeah, I did that. I mean, on, the, yeah, I did the that. Table. That was my rhythm. Same shit. That's been my beat since I've been a kid. Because I always took the boopat <laughs> to use it when I See, scratched. to me, I was more of a... Yeah, see? That type of shit. Yeah. That is a different flavor. Yes. And that's it. Now, uh, the beginning of Explosive... Dum, dum. Was that a sample? No, that wasn't explosive. That was. Oh, I'm sorry. Dum, dum, Which dum, one was dum, that one? Yeah. Dum, dum, dum. What's the name dum, of that song? Dum, dum. Uh, next episode. Next That's episode. Uh, David Axelrod. Okay. The whole record, though, it goes like that. When you play the record, <laughs> it plays all the way through, just like that. Dre wow. put a deep beat up. Mailman and Dre did a beat, a loop on it, and made some new shit up. Dope, dope. <laughs> now, now, let me ask you a question because I know my boy. I, I don't know if you know Breakbeat Lou. I do. Okay. Shout out to Break B. Lou. Shout out to Break B. Lou. Much love and respect. I'm trying to get him over mm -hmm. here. Uh, did you ever use any of those ultimate breaks and beats? What? Uh, no, I, when I met Break B. Lou, I hugged him. I was like, bro, you're like my childhood. 
Yes, yes. Okay. We used every one of them. I had like, oh, but we we kept them like this though. They would be like everywhere, like <laughs> this one. This one, they got the loop you on Use this one. Yep, I never kept them in the cover. Sorry, Lou, that's how we did it. You know what's funny? Dre's, uh, that I remember, one thing that I picked up on, and I, I, who am I to criticize Dr. Dre, but hmm. uh, audio achievements, some of his favorite samples were uh, Funky Drummer. Oh, God. And Impeach the President. Oh, God. Yeah. Still, Impeach the President got the dopest snare drum, though. Yes, yes. You know, but. It, you know what's funny? Because DJs, if we hear another DJ scratching like that snare, we're like, and piece of you forgot one though. Sing a simple song. Oh yeah, sing. We use that one a few times. People don't know, like deep cover. Dun dun dun. dun, dun. Yeah, that's dun, dun, right on dun, time. Dun. That was right on time. But yes, and that was the same shit that Shock G used for Humpty Dance. Yeah, just but yeah, but it was. They used another side. That was a left and a right. The right side is what they used. Mm -hmm. Thing we took the left where the drums are by themselves and cut the left side out. <laughs> made that the beat. You know, they could have that Humpty shit. No, no. Yeah. So now, what, fuck, I, I almost feel like I'm cheating the public right now. Mm -hmm. I'm cheating myself. What, what is Chris the Glove Taylor working on today? If anything, well, what can you, they expect from you? Uh, I know you you showed me that screenshot on your oh, phone. Oh, yeah. My, uh, I'm a brand ambassador for a company called uh, Nug. They have a new line of blunts called Sweets. Go ahead and take me into the shop. Yeah, they got a Sweets underscore CA on Instagram. And then you can follow me, Christy Glove, on Instagram as well. But uh, so I'm doing a lot of that because I've been, I, I, I hang a lot with my boy J-Roll from the Alcoholics. Shout out to the Licks and all my family over there. And, and we're doing these health conscious things and we've been doing a lot of cannabis and cbd he has a cbd line dr robinson mm -hmm. we got a, co a golf tournament coming up um april 16th i believe elf golf is the company that we're aligned with we're looking for sponsors tony a so uh <laughs> you know it's a cannabis golf mm -hmm. tournament like you can smoke weed we got different holes like with bomb ass setups so you go to hole 16 and we got the green zone you know, we got sweets over there handing out Hot chicks giving you blunts and Dope. all that shit. They got Gummy this bears. tequila on the next one, and they got the Stella on the other one, and they got a podcast. We live at ours, or you know that kind of thing. So, but what I'm mainly doing is my group is called La Liga. I have La Liga Sound System, which is a, our musical arm. But with J. Rowe, who founded it, we're like a crime fighting organization. We have multiple identities. I'm Thomas Crown, and I'm also Christy Glove Taylor. So the reason we made this up is because we're we have two identities. We're like ourselves, but we're people see us. They want our autograph. They want to take pictures. We have two lives, like you know, like you. Right. You know what I'm talking about. So if we started saying, well, since this is like our fake identity, let's make a fake fake identity that we can fall into yeah. when we're not ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we yeah. can just kind of we started off as some fun, but we are on this world domination, help the world super elitist money grab thing it's dope as shit so la liga is also on instagram and we got a movie coming out and this year we're doing a lot of cannabis and other brands what we do is we shoot commercials for them within our movie oh and so it's different scenes and sets so uh yeah we're getting that together and uh, i got sweets popping it's in the nug and nug wellness stores in the bay we're opening up a few more stores in los angeles and other middle central california coming soon but yeah, man, it's a uh, uh, blunt, but it's tobacco free. Okay. So it's the blunt you want. It's it, everything. If you're about the bud and not the tobacco, 
you good. You can burn it. It don't smell like burnt paper. People like joints, but they don't know about the glue strip on the joint. Right. They don't know about the, you know, the paper. It's burning. You want to just go scrape off a tree and set it on fire. That's what you burning. So with the hemp wrap, it's just like the cannabis itself. It's all even shot. And, you know, the way that it burns slow, you know, everybody in here two times over, we do this thing where people, we see how many people we can get off of one. It's been up to 14. Got they buzz on. So, you know, <laughs> sweets, man. Y'all got to go get it or ask for it everywhere. We're at sweets.life. Check sweets. us out. Dot life. Mm -hmm. um, for the people that may not know, are you still uh, to this day working with Dre? Yeah. So, We're good friends and that's what we are. We like to, my buddy was like, you know, you don't want to work with Dre or whatever, like work or I'm like, well, you know, it, and as I was going to answer, my other friend said, it's like, you know, two homies just hanging out. Like, y'all just be kicking it in the studio. I was like, yeah, that's what we always did. So we he's working on a few secret projects that I he'll he'll send me the music and you know, I may go up there and touch one knob on a mix or, or <laughs> make a face when he does something and he'll be like, Oh, you heard that? You know, that's right. pretty much my extent of working with Dre. With the exception of I've written some songs for another secret project of his four songs that he loves so you know we got that coming don't, and it's don't. a i can't even tell you what it is it's all good brother yeah all good all good you know what i i truly understand that because see one mistake that we did when we were filming this documentary for steve Yano's a three-hour documentary where we have about 20 people we interviewed violet brown um lonzo arab mm. clientele etc mm -hmm. and we started promoting it before it was ever done yeah that was that was the somebody will steal your idea that's what happened well somebody was trying to so he's just lucky that we didn't catch up with his ass because i would have knocked his oh ass come out. on now wizard i know you man that part i do know yeah so, <laughs> so i've been to the rodeo so anyways brother listen uh i may need a part two with you no you Some, got me whenever you want now i know where it is i might just pop up on your ass you know i'm hard to get rid of please that's the other show shout out to unity in orlando and white label radio all my people man that's what i fuck with i gotta give them the shout out sorry well whenever you want to come by we'll have a carne asada and ceviche and <sighs> whatever you want brother so. and some of those We'll talk about them okay. off the camera. <laughs> well, most definitely. So, like I said, you're more than welcome anytime you want to come. I mm -hmm. want to say that it's truly been an honor and a pleasure because, see, I'm going to say something. Growing up, most people's heroes are, if you will, um, like Superman, Batman, and stuff Man, like that. Man, you're going to make me cry. Okay. Stop that. <laughs> my superheroes growing up were... Let me start off with sports like Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. Joe Frazier, George, George Foreman. Yeah. And then you have guys like Joe Cooley, Tony G, Egyptian Lover, and a guy by the, you may know, uh, Chris the Glove Taylor. Okay. <laughs> I know that guy. Uh, again, yeah. I always thought that that was some superpower shit wearing the gloves. Man, so. he's in movies and Shaka Khan video and Shaka all that. Shaka Khan video. See, and that's one thing we didn't touch on. Yeah. but that's why you got to come back my brother. yeah so, we did a few little things yeah it was number one video number one song number one movie in the same year now i don't know if you know this so let me go ahead and tell you boogaloo shrimp michael chambers turbo and breaking yeah. lived about four blocks away from here what yeah, he grew up in wilmington 
I know it was from Wilmington, but dude, I never really knew where that was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so we knew Carson been, and Compton, and I was like, Wilmington next to Compton, right? Yes. But they, I don't see Compton around here. It's well, pretty over here. They, they actually filmed his the break of the entering part. Yes, right down the street right here, brother. Right down the street, my ass. It's nice <laughs> over here, y'all. <laughs> so once again, my brother. Man, thank appreciate you, man. you. Thank you. Thank you for You're having me and telling me all back. those wonderful things. Awesome. Listen, uh, once again, we'll... Um, I'm just dumbfounded right now. That's I'm okay. With, I'm with the West Coast legend. So once again, uh, Chris Glove Taylor, thank you very much for coming through. Um, we'll be back on Sunday with a double feature. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Rodeo Mixtape, DocuMixtury at DocuMixtury.com. Send in your 20 to 30 second video to RodeoRadio at gmail.com. And we're going to start posting those possibly next Wednesday. Okay. Uh, if you have any music, any suggestions, anything that you want to, uh, um, any artists that you want to recommend to us, go ahead and uh, recommend them to us at rodeonradio at gmail.com. Please do not DM me. Please do not inbox me when it comes to your music. Send them all to the, uh, the Gmail because every day I get about 50 mm -hmm. DMs, including inboxes on Facebook with people sending me their YouTube. Do not do that, please. I don't click on any links. Send them to rodeonradio.gmail.com. Other than that, I'll see you guys Sunday. My boy Jen, Fashion Town, thank you for the shirt. Thank you for the hat. Once again, much love, much respect. John motherfucking Elkins, DG uh, Media Clips, my boy Doc Nasty, and everybody else who didn't show up today, you know what? Fuck off, y'all missed out. See you guys Sunday. Ah.